0: Welcome to the Cotton Club crew. We have a great episode tonight. We are joined by Jake Hatch of Locked On Cougars. Jake, thanks for joining us.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. How are you?
0: You know, just living life, vibing and trying to stay alive through a long football season. Uh, We're going to be talking to Jake about all things BYU. We got the date in Provo, the first between the two teams. I think ever. I don't believe these two have met in a prior matchup, or it's been a while. One time. One time, 1940, guys. We're going way back. Yeah. So we, we, we've got a, a re- reignition of an old rivalry, to say the least. Uh, so the first meeting of the two teams, it's actually kind of funny. Tech plays all the newcomers but Cincinnati, coincidentally. Uh, BYU being the the first of the ones they haven't ever really played as conference mates. Tech has played Houston several times over the last 10 years. Uh, so this is our first trip to Provo. Uh, this is the first trip for a lot of Tech fans to Provo. And the first date with BYU athletics in a long time on the football side, so what, we're going to get into it. We're going to start by talking about the results to date, getting okay? I mean, walking through a bit of how BYU's looked so far, so that our listeners can get familiar with where where the Cougars have been coming from to where they are now. So let's let's get right into it. So the season starts. 3-0 with the win over Arkansas at Arkansas. At the time, that was a pretty significant win. Of course, it's turned out Arkansas is perhaps not a great football team, yes. uh, to put it politely, but how was how were people feeling after the 3-0 start with the inaugural season as a full-time member of the Power Five?
1: Uh, Cougar fans were pretty excited because most people in the preseason, if you, you looked at the schedule and you were kind of doling out, okay, win, loss, win, loss, Arkansas was considered to be a loss in most people's minds, especially just how BYU had performed uh, last year against the Razorbacks when they came to Provo and absolutely blew out BYU. So for BYU to start 3-0 and was actually a very, very positive sign. It felt like for BYU, as you mentioned, uh, kind of looking back now, Arkansas has been on quite a slide since then, five straight, if I'm not mistaken, since BYU beat them. So uh may not necessarily be as stout as we thought they might be. But the Cougars, to their credit, they sit at four and two at this juncture. They've enjoyed a bye week and obviously got blown out by TCU last week. So uh they're reeling a little bit coming into this one. But yeah, that 3-0 and start, I think, had Cougar fans thinking pretty lofty uh, for the Cougars. But the last three games, speaking of the loss to Kansas, the close win over Cincinnati, and obviously this most recent loss to TCU, have brought them back to earth.
0: That's where I'm going next with this. We, we, three conference games, no wins over the current Power Five members. The win over Cincinnati, I watched, actually was up late watching that game. I thought that was when BYU was really going to kind of pull away from, and then Cincinnati just kind of legged them down yeah. and stayed in it all the way through to the end. Um, you know, it lost to Kansas. Daniels was healthy, though in this game, BYU did a very good job more or less containing Kansas through the air. The issue, of course, being allowing 220 rushing yards um, as well as to complement what it was a pretty poor night for Daniels, 130 yards passing in this game. BYU would lose that one relatively close, 11 points, 38-27. The loss to TCU is the one that's looming a lot larger. Um, That was was a tough outcome, Uh, 44-11 in that game. New TCU starting quarterback following the injury to Chandler Morris' frankly, was, I mean, other than the two interceptions, was phenomenal. 37 for 58, 439 yards. And to go along with 137 yards allowed on the ground, Mm -hmm. it's fair to say the Cougars got torched in this game offensively and defensively. What went wrong against TCU that was really just kind of a, a shocker to see that outcome happen?
1: Well, the biggest thing for the, the Cougars in that game was the fact that they just uh, both sides of the ball and even their special teams to a degree just let them down. At most points this season as BYU kind of had cobbled together that four and one record going into that TCU game was that in one game, maybe the offense was struggling a little bit and the defense would uh, help them out. And then another circumstance, defense may be reeling a little bit and the and the offense would step up against TCU. Nothing. I mean, nothing seemingly worked for the Cougars. Offense was inept. It felt like a points uh, defense was giving up 400 and whatever yards they did to a first time starter and Josh Hoover is TCU starting quarterback. So yeah, it just, it was a cavalcade of essentially the entire team having a down game and a 44 to 11 blowout is the result.
2: After that tough loss there, um Jake, you know, it's kind of a team's reeling. We've we've dealt with it plenty of times where, especially this year and as a Tech fan just in general, and I heard was Kalani saying this was like one of those games where it was going back to the drawing board kind of deal after the game and once we get back to Provo. So what do you see going forward of going back to the drawing board? Is it going to be more emphasis on offensive, more emphasis on defensive? Everybody kind of just collectively just has to take a look in the mirror Um, What's going on as far as that's concerned?
1: Uh, I think it's a mixture of all of it, frankly. Uh, I was actually just out at BYU football practice before I joined you guys on the podcast and talking with offensive coordinator Aaron Roderick. And uh, there was a question asked him, like, hey, have you gone? uh, What are you doing hopefully to boost this offense? And he said, I don't mean to make uh, light of the question, but we're looking literally at everything. And does that mean that they uh, completely uh, throw out their old game plans and do something new? I I don't think so. I just think they're trying to kind of kind of gear down and figure out, okay, here's what the base plays. Here's what we're most successful with. And let's use those to build ourselves back up. And you mentioned Kalani Satake. Yeah. He said, we're taking a look at all of it. He, he wants more production from this offense as every Cougar fan does, but it's not just the offense that's struggling. The defense has had its uh, issues as well of late. So yeah, they, they, they very much are kind of looking in the mirror and trying to figure out exactly who they are and what they can be most successful with. And the hope is that they'll have a better performance against Texas Tech.
0: Let's stick to the offensive side of the ball. Let's get our listeners familiar with what to expect. Caden Slovis is the quarterback. It's been an up and down season for him. Interestingly enough, his, his best game against real competition – probably other than the turnovers was Kansas in terms of total yardage in terms of I believe completion percentage Um, he also had a big uh, game against uh, SUU not really worth talking too much about he hasn't struggled just frankly struggled to really put get much going through the air as a result I think BYU's offense has suffered it's not necessarily that he's been inaccurate there just hasn't seemed to been much Ability to push the ball down the field. It's been very conservative is, is, is the issue limitations with his ability? Is it an issue with ability to protect him? Or is it an issue with the receiving car a little bit calm A, B, and C?
1: Uh, Well, okay. So the biggest thing is the offensive line has not been what we expected it to be. Frankly, it's just not been uh, as good as we thought it would be going into the season. So yeah, protecting Keaton has been an issue, but uh, as anybody who watches football knows a strong running game is going to benefit a quarterback. And especially in the way that BYU likes to operate their offense, they like to have the run game set up a lot of their play action and bootleg and all that stuff they like to do in their offense. This year, the run game has been near non-existent and that has affected Keaton Slobos. He's having to, do more five and seven stop uh, seven uh, step drops when it comes to the passing game. So he's just dropping back and teams know that they can pin their ears back and they've been coming after him. So yeah, it's affected, as you mentioned, the ability to really push the ball downfield. It's actually one of his chief strikes, speaking of of Slovis is the ability to deliver the ball downfield when he's given the time to do that. But the problem is those opportunities have been too far, too far between uh, chances to really push it. So it's yeah, there's a mixture, I think, of all of that. The receiving core had issues getting open against TCU's defensive backs, which was a, a absolutely a, a killer element to how they performed against the Horned Frogs most recently. But yeah, the offensive line has not given him, I feel like, enough time on, on a consistent basis. But at the same time, Keaton, especially against TCU, looked a little bit in terms of like uh, his processing, processing and analyzing the defense was just like uh, it felt like it was a touch slow. So uh, when he's been at his best this year, I would say the maybe the most impressive, maybe it was that Cincinnati game in particular. Once he got going after a very slow start, he was absolutely balling out, and he was uh, making quick decisions, fast decisions. The tempo of the offense changed. So it, it, there's a whole litany of reasons why it's not working. But I think the biggest thing is, yeah, he's just not been able to really settle into this offense truthfully as a pocket quarterback.
2: Now, when we spoke earlier in July there, Jake, a couple players that came up on the offensive side were, were Robbins and Epps, mm-hmm. right? You have Robbins, your running back, you have Epps, a wide receiver, big time wide receiver. Um, out, offensive line kind of aside, you know, because injuries and, you know, just not playing up to what they're with, which injury hurts you guys more? Because I know that's a lot on Slovis and a lot on LJ Martin being a freshman, yeah. running back having to, you know, kind of carry the, the load there but which um injury really has hurt you guys the most there
1: i i would say it's it's more aiden robbins because this is a guy who was a thousand yard rusher a season ago at at unlv so he has proven production at the fbs level and they were hoping that he was going to be able to go uh from everything we have heard and kind of gleaned from the coaches over the past couple of weeks he picked up an injury in training camp and tried to battle through it and it's been undisclosed what it was but he ended up playing the uh, the first two games of the year but was just completely ineffective, just was not working. So they benched him and said, you know, what, we need to heal up. Uh, we got told uh, tonight as we record this by Aaron Roderick, there's a good chance he could see some action against Texas Tech. They feel like he's nearing uh, full health and be able to get out there and play. But, yeah, not having him out there, it's hurt BYU. Now, you need the O-line to open the holes, and LJ Martin has done an admirable job as a true freshman coming in and really establishing himself as BYU's leading running back to this point. But uh, it's been a tough, uh, tough sledding. For BYU, when it comes uh, to the running uh, running back position, just the overall run game, and Aiden Robbins has hurt them. But that is not a discount that Cody Apps, missing all but essentially a game and a couple of plays uh, with a hamstring issue, has also hurt BYU.
0: Now we're going to switch to the defensive side of the ball because it's it's hard to talk about BYU season without the what is I think a bit of an outlier for them overall, which is just that they they really struggled. To keep TCU in check, that was the first game they'd allowed over forty points uh, to date. They've been fairly good against Arkansas and Kansas. They slipped a bit, but that's to be expected against competition. They aren't as quite ready for. But the forty-four points against the backup quarterback in his first career start—that's that's a tough outlier. What happened in that game for TCU to find success against BYU, and what did BYU do wrong that just allowed it to keep coming?
1: Uh, I think the biggest thing is they, ha- they have absorbed a- quite a few injuries on the defensive side of the football. Their star linebacker, Ben Bywater, he announced this week that he's out for the season. One of their starting safeties currently, Tanner Wall, also out for the year. Camden Garrett, who's one of their top cornerbacks, did not play against TCU, and that obviously hurt them in terms of trying to replace him because the cornerbacks who came in in relief of him were ineffective, at, at, to say the least. So yeah, they've absorbed a bunch of injuries on that defense. And, and the problem was, it felt like there was just that the element of the unknown with regard to Josh Hoover you go into a game thing okay this is his first career start we're gonna really try and bottle up the run and uh, BYU did a pretty admirable job all things considered it felt like against TCU's run game which was considered to be what they would lean on in this game but Josh Hoover gotta give that young man credit uh, he's a kid from Rockwall, Texas not too far away uh, from the Dallas Fort Worth area and obviously going to TCU it's a pretty close thing but He was, he was phenomenal. And BYU, I think they went into that game thinking, okay, we'll shut down the run, make this kid prove he can beat us with his arm. And you got to tip your cap. Cause that kid absolutely torched BYU more than 400 yards in his first career start. Uh, I think PFF rated him as the top power five quarterback in terms of their grades for last week. So very, very impressive stuff. And the Cougars, uh, Similar to the offense, I kind of have to go back to the drawing board here and say, OK, what did we do wrong here in terms of maybe over, uh, not overestimating underestimating uh, this backup quarterback? And it's something they have to face this week, potentially, with Texas Tech as well.
2: You know, we've kind of dealt with the injury bug on the on the defensive side as well this lat, or this season. Uh, most notably with Jacob Rodriguez, are kind of like our heart and soul of our defense. I know Bywater was kind of like that guy. Mm-hmm. So between Max Tooley and AJ Vongbachon, I think is that how you say it? You His nailed both last... well, well awesome. AJ Vogbachan, um, which guy, which one of those guys do you see um filling in that void for um Bywater's absence?
1: It's gonna have to be a mixture of the two because Ben Bywater, the best of Ben Bywater is got the 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 just the tackling ability, the ability just to kind of be that solid player that A.J. Vong Pachon is, but also with the star making, a star and playmaking capabilities of what Max Tooley brings to the table as well. So I think the mixture of the two are going to have to step in. I I expect both of them to uh, be at their best against Texas Tech. It wouldn't surprise me to see more of a 4-2-5 look as Tech likes to really spread things out with those two guys at linebacker for BYU in this matchup. But uh, they've, those are two very solid veteran players, both of them upperclassmen. I think retro. Seniors, both of them, uh, Von Pachana transfer in from Utah State, so they have got to step up because, as you mentioned, Ben Bywater, heart and soul of this defense, had back-to-back 100 tackle seasons. He's got uh, just he was really, as you mentioned, like kind of the the guy in the middle of BYU's defense. Losing him absolutely has hurt BYU, but the hope is that these two other seniors in Von Pachan as well as Thule will be able to step up, and between the two of them, they can replace that production.
0: Now, you like uh, Joe mentioned, it, Texas Tech has dealt with a fair number of injuries on the defensive side of the ball. Both teams are not near healthy. Um, let, let's talk about an, an angle of this of the jump that these schools are making to the Power Five level. Obviously, BYU has, I think we I, I talked about this in preseason podcast was the one I had assumed would perhaps be the best prepared due to a long history of playing teams at this mm-hmm. level but let's get into that depth question because it seems to be impacting all of both BYU and the three and the AAC schools what it is is the depth really that different from the rest of the power five depth that they're used to especially for a school like BYU that has I mean the last five years really beaten up on the Pac-12 more often than not. Is it just a down year for the program overall? What, what, what's the concern with BYU trying to backfill in these injuries?
1: I I think the biggest thing is for BYU on the defensive side of the football is they brought a new new defensive staff with a new philosophy and I I don't mean to sound like negative about the old defensive staff but they didn't really like to recruit and I I say that just I've studied this for 12, 13 years covering this team and that old defensive staff they like to take the path of least resistance when it came to recruiting guys they would take projects on guys that they thought could develop into good players and I, I think a lot of the issues depth wise on defense have come home to roost just simply due to the fact that BYU's got a pretty good front line of players mentioned like Ben Bywater, etc. But when you have those guys go down due to injury, the replacements right now may not be at the caliber you need them to be down the road for BYU. So it's going to be a little bit of a process to build up that depth. Now, offensively, I don't necessarily see that same excuse working for BYU because Aaron Roderick and his staff have really established uh, some some very strong roots with regards to what they are going to do on offense. And the fact that they're having some issues maybe with their depth and getting production from the depth as well due to some of their injuries they've absorbed, it just doesn't hold up. So was it a misevaluation of talent maybe to a degree or just guys need to uh, be more dedicated to their craft to be determined. But I do think that BYU understood coming into this conference that yeah, they weren't necessarily going to be as deep and as talented as most of the teams, maybe if not all of them in the big 12. But as you mentioned, BYU has played a lot of power five teams over the past five, six, seven years. And has really a str- uh, they've always wanted to prove themselves at this level on a full-time basis. They're getting that opportunity. And I think they they're getting a little bit of a, of a lesson obviously with the losses, the Kansas as well as TCU have shown them, okay, this is where we're deficient. So is it going to be a one-year fix? Probably not. But I think that the Cougars are learning a lot of lessons right now that'll serve them well as they go into recruiting, obviously for the upcoming high school class. And obviously use, utilizing the transfer portal to bring in talent as well.
0: So let's 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 stick to this angle because it is something I, I, I want to talk about that I, I think we've we haven't really done because this is the first in season interview we've done with one of the newcomers, which is the recruiting side of things. Mm-hmm. Um BYU, of course, is a it it just to be fair is a unique place to yes. kids to come in. Um, you know, be with both the honor code and the overall environment and Just the expectation of being a BYU Cougar is different than other schools in the conference and in the country at large. Now you're competing at a higher level, access to more premier talent. What's been the impact of all of this feeding into BYU on top of the NIL stuff they've had to start getting rolling? What, What are you seeing? How are recruits reacting with the new step up?
1: Uh, Well, they're getting in more doors. That's simply put. There there are a number of guys, and obviously most people out there know that BYU is sponsored by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Most of you might know it as the LDS or the Mormon Church. And that that obviously comes with its own recruiting ties because there's members literally both nationwide and worldwide, and you can tap into that. But the top-end LDS talent, uh, members of the faith, for years when BYU was an independent, they had other schools coming after them. And they're looking at BYU saying, "Okay, I can go play for the church school, as as I like to call it or I can go play let's say at USC or in your guys's case Texas Tech and play a true power five schedule that is something that has completely changed now BYU has now got that power five label next to their name so there are more top end talent members of the LDS faith who are saying okay I'm gonna at least listen to BYU whereas in the past they may have said thanks but no thanks so that's helping and also BYU is really kind of Looking at okay, where do we want to recruit? They currently have a commit out of Atlanta, Georgia. They have a commit out of the Dallas-Fort Worth area currently in their upcoming recruiting class. They're spreading in terms of where they can go and recruit. And the two guys I just mentioned are not members of the LDS faith. They've gone out and tried to say, okay, this is what BYU is all about. You guys mentioned the honor code. They're pretty stringent academics in terms of the enrolling freshmen. You have to be pretty good with your academics. And yeah, just be, Provo and BYU is a unique environment. So. Yes, they, they there are there are challenges for BYU when it comes to recruiting, but Kalani Satake and his staff, the vast majority of them, uh, either have played for BYU, have coached there long enough to understand what the circumstances are, and they're going out and selling it hard. So uh, the hope is that as they continue to grow in this conference, they'll be able to recruit more in Florida, down in the South, into Texas more often, and obviously they'll keep their ties out here in the Western United States and the state of Utah out on the West Coast and even out to Hawaii, but. The Cougars, it sounds like that they have plans to really expand their recruiting operation nationwide, truthfully, for the very first time.
2: Now, jumping back into the game on Saturday, um, Mm -hmm. on the offensive side of the ball, in the games that you guys have won, you guys have rushed about 120 yards per game. And then the two big losses, the Kansas and the TCU, it was, I think, 100 collective between both games, nine yards against Kansas and then 91 against TCU or vice versa, something like that. So going into this game, is this game going to be more of a factor for LJ Martin or is it going to be more of a factor for Keaton Slovis to take the Cougars to a victory on Saturday?
1: Uh, BYU would like it to be put on the run game and have them have a breakout performance, but we're six games into this season. And as you mentioned, the, the run game has just not been as effective as they wanted to be. So I think if BYU is going to win on Saturday, they're going to do it behind Keaton Slovis in his right arm. He's going to have to throw guys open. He's going to have to use the short and intermediate uh, passing game to set up those shots downfield. This wouldn't surprise me if this is a game where BYU comes out and says, okay, we're going to lean more into it. I know most, te- most tech fans uh, will respect this more of what the Air Raid is all about. Mike Leach obviously had his ties to BYU and whatnot. So that's going to be the interesting part to see how BYU attacks this. But I feel like the Cougars philosophy has traditionally been we want to run to set up the pass. I think they have realized, you know what, we need to pass to set up the run. So it's going to be more on the arm of Keaton Slovis that they ultimately are going to win this game Saturday.
0: Now. Texas Tech has struggled mightily to get any semblance of pass rush going. So that is a matchup we're watching. Looking for other matchups, Texas Tech is banged up. The secondary, however, has relatively knock on wood to date held together other than cj Baskerville's status uh, where he's been in and out of the lineup Uh, he plays at the the star position a key he is the quarterback of that secondary with him down the deep the difference is pretty noticeable in terms of how that group functions but overall byu's uh i think you know is experiencing another challenge to get open with the receiving group what are the names tech fans should be familiar with the guys that are going to be counted on to try to take the top off texas tech defensively
1: Yeah, so BYU's got a pretty deep stable of wide receivers. The problem is, as you mentioned, they just struggled to get open, especially against TCU, and that was uh, obviously a concern. But uh, there's a few names to pay attention to. Chase Roberts feels like he has emerged as the number one option for BYU wide receiver. Local product from a high school here in Utah, not too far away from BYU. Uh, He was maybe the lone guy who seemed to win one-on-one matchups against TCU, and even then, he didn't win all of them. So he's the lead guy for BYU wide receiver. I already mentioned Cody Epps. He returned to play a full game for the first time against TCU. The hope is that he'll be able to kind of ramp up and get back to more of what he was doing last season for BYU. He's one of their big breakout stars. And then there's uh, two other names. Uh, and Keanu Hill, uh, many Tech fans may remember the name Lloyd Hill. He is the son of former Texas Tech legend Lloyd Hill. And Keanu is a very, very savvy player. Big body, 6'4", 215 pounds. Uh, the hope is that he will have a good game against his dad's alma mater. He talked a lot about the trash talk between him and his dad uh, going into this week earlier on in the week. So uh, interested to see how he does. And then BYU has got a guy at tight end in Isaac Rack that uh, 6'6", 260 pounds, looks every bit the part of a future NFL-type player. Uh, The problem was he was essentially non-existent against TCU. They bottled him him up, and we hadn't seen him get uh, shut down like that at all to this point in the season. So uh, Kalani Satake was very complimentary of Texas Tech's defensive secondary during his press conference this week, calling it, he thought maybe the biggest one he has seen in college football this year in terms of overall length, size, and speed. So, it's going to be a very, very interesting matchup for BYU, but they got to hope that those four players, along with some other ones, Darius Lassiter and Keelan Marion, et cetera, can step up. But they've got to have a better uh, performance this week because they got they got bottled up by TCU.
2: Now jumping into, I guess, the defensive side for for BYU against the Texas Tech offense, obviously Taj Brooks is probably a name you guys are pretty familiar with. And the nation should pr- pretty much be familiar with that name based on what he does whenever he's given the opportunity to run. So, what's the game plan wise? What does um, Jay Hill have in store? What do you? What's the kind of scheme they have for slowing down this Red Raider rushing attack that's led by Tosh Brooks?
1: Uh, they're going to attack. They're going to bring blitzes, and that—that's the one thing that they have proven so far this year. Now. The blitzes at times have been ineffective. And that's that's been the problem is the ability to uh, get consistent pressure. And also in terms of just uh, bottling up the run game. I thought they did a better job against the run game overall against TCU. It wasn't perfect. There were still plenty of opportunities for TCU to run in that game. But they have got to make sure that they find Taj Brooks and bottle him up in the backfield, if at all possible. Because uh, as we all know, uh, the best friend of a potential first time starting quarterback is have a strong running back. And Taj Brooks, in my opinion, might be the best running back in this league right now. And the Big 12's got a bunch of them this year, uh, having watched a lot of the teams around the conference. But uh, they have got to make sure that they identify where Taj Brooks is at all times and just just get just get them on the ground. Because if BYU doesn't and they allow t- uh, Tech to really control the tempo of this game, control the line of scrimmage, the time of possession, all that stuff, it going to be a long night for BYU. And it's kind of what uh, Cincinnati came in with their game plan to do, and they did do that. BYU just happened to win the turnover margin, which really flipped that game on its head.
0: Texas Tech's quarterback situation is, is a bit of a, a unknown right now. Baron Morton has not, by all accounts, been taking many practice reps the last few weeks, and it culminated with him actually stepping out of the game against Kansas State. Third-string quarterback Jake Strong came in, uh, mixed reviews, uh, some of which, you know, if people listen to us talk in the past. So, listener, you know our take on what went wrong in that one with a lot of expletives that followed. Uh, but BYU is going to be facing one of two very different quarterbacks um, and they're going to be facing a receiving group from Texas tech that struggled a bit. Uh, uh, How, how confident are you in this group taking on Texas tech's passing attack regardless of who is actually the starting quarterback in this game?
1: I think the BYU learned their lesson last week. I think they may have overlooked what Josh Hoover, speaking of a first-time starting quarterback for TCU, brought to the table. I think they came in thinking, okay, let's see really what he's capable of doing. And they let him get going early on in this game. And BYU's got a little bit of a history of letting some backup quarterbacks cook him a little bit. So uh, I think that the philosophy for BYU this week is they don't care who's a quarterback. They are going to respect this guy as if he was, Aaron Rodgers out there, for lack of a better example, maybe Tom. Like, they're just going to make sure that that dude, we don't care who's under center, we have to respect what that player can do because we all know what happened last week against TCU. So, I'm expecting BYU's defense under Jay Hill to have the full attention and pay very close attention to what whoever starts at quarterback, whether it's Morton, uh, anybody that lines up there. They're going to have BYU's respect because, I, like I said, the Cougars, they got cooked really, really bad last week, and they they, they don't want to have a repeat of uh, performance. So we'll see how they hold up. The nice part is I think BYU, similar to Texas Tech, has had a pretty strong secondary most of this year. The safety position has been hard, hit hard due to injury, but uh, Jay Hill, who also coaches the safeties as the defensive coordinator, has just continued to find uh, guys who have stepped up in that position. So... I'm expecting it to be a very interesting battle between the passing game for Texas Tech against BYU secondary.
2: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that uh, matchup in particular, just, you know, given our quarterback situation, which kind of well-documented on who's going to be there. You know, our backup quarterback, if it is Jake Strong taking the snaps, his backups, a, a backup wide receiver. Okay, I, so I don't know if you know that, but his name is Brady Boyd. He's been taking this the supposed second string um, snaps there behind um, Jake Strong there. So you guys may see a, a trio of potential quarterbacks on Saturday. You know, given the circumstances, I know that your de- your defensive line is 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 um, backed by a Tyler Batty with mm-hmm. three and a half sacks. 25 tackles. Is there anything schematically wise that Jay Hill's going to try and do to kind of confuse that offensive line of Texas Tech?
1: I would expect a lot of twists and stunts from the defensive line, those, those games that the defensive line like to play. And Tyler Batty will be part of that. Jackson Cravens, who's a defensive tackle for BYU. Isaiah Banya, who's the other defensive end opposite of Tyler Batty. You'll see them do a lot of stunting and twisting, and you'll also see the linebackers. And uh, BYU is not above bringing corner and safety blitzes at times as well. So I think that they're going to mix up the looks, no matter who's at quarterback, and try and confuse them, especially when it comes to a guy like Jake Strong. True freshman, obviously, you're going to try and uh, make him think one thing. Once the snap uh, happens, you completely morph how it looks. That's the whole goal for BYU this week, it seems like, on defense, is just to confuse uh, the quarterback, whoever it may be, for uh, Texas tech and we'll see how it goes. Uh, BYU had a, a pretty good outing in terms of their ability to get after the quarterback against Arkansas. But b- since then they've struggled to really uh, generate consistent pass rush with just the four men up front. So they want to get back to doing that. They would like to have Tyler Batty and Banya on the edges uh, really get after the quarterback. But uh, Jay Hill has said it once. he will say it again. If he cannot get the pressure with four guys, he's not above sending five, six or seven guys. If that gets the job done.
0: Now we're, we're we're nearing the end of our of our episode here, so I do want to ask about the environment in Provo. I I worked with some fo- for some Baylor folks here in Houston um, who went to the game and really enjoyed their time out there when they went. Um, so let, let's talk a bit about the the, the tailgating scene. And where there I, I uh, presumably I, I it's not the worst drive in the world or flight end for for folks either leaving Lubbock or Dallas. So it should be at least probably a a group of Texas tech fans as a fan base that's traveled well this season. What should they be looking to do while they're in, while they're on campus where they should be looking pregame where, where are the best spots? Where are the things they can't miss while they're in Provo?
1: Well, right now, they're going to get the best weather of the year, in my opinion. We've been sitting in the mid-70s all week, and it's supposed to extend through Saturday and uh, mid-70s with very low humidity. uh, The Lavelle Edwards Stadium sits right at the foot of the Wasatch Mountains. You're going to see some snow probably on the peaks of those mountains, but you'll see a lot of red and yellow and gold uh, from the changing leaves on those mountains as well. So, if you're coming out, if you're a Texas Tech fan, make a drive up into Provo Canyon. Go to Sundance and see the changing colors up in our canyons. It's absolutely an incredible time of year to come out here. I, I, this was about the same time last year that Arkansas came out and I was on a podcast with them. And one of their hosts said, Hey, I'd like to do that. And I told them exactly where to go. I said, drive up Provo Canyon, go to Sundance, get some food. There's some great restaurants up at Sundance, which is owned by Robert Redford, obviously. And they, they did it. And I got a text from them. I think this was probably Saturday evening. I said, you were not kidding. This is absolutely incredible. So tech fans, you're in for a treat in terms of the overall scenery around here. Now, with regards to the tailgate scene, they do have a tailgate lot. It's about a half mile away from the stadium. So it's not necessarily ideal for a uh, true tailgating, but they do have a lot of activities uh, around the stadium itself. They have a thing called Cougar Canyon, which takes over the street just adjacent to the stadium there. It's called Canyon Road, and they've got a, Face painting, food, live band. Uh, They have the Cougar Walk. I'll go right down the middle of it right before the game with the players and coaches. So that should be fun to do. And uh, there's plenty of options to eat around the stadium. But if you want to expand out, if you're flying into Salt Lake City, the Salt Lake City food scene is absolutely, I think, underrated across the country. They've got every option seemingly under the sun. So uh, it's an easy drive also from the airport. If You fly into Salt Lake City International, you're 40 minutes down I-15 into Provo. So it's a a really simple place to get to, some incredible scenery. The weather should be fantastic and it should be a fun environment because Cougar fans, uh, they have sold out, let's see, uh, two of the three home games so, so far this year and it's expected to be close to, if not a sellout against Tech.
2: So going kind of based on our last conversation in July, Free ice cream and a cougar tail, right? That's where it's at? yeah good good point Joe uh so yeah they have a, the cougar tail is an
1: 18 inch long maple uh, donut maple bar donut but they are doing a special one uh, for this week because it's homecoming for BYU they're putting bacon on top of it guys it's the first time ever this is a, this is literally the first time they've ever uh, done this so uh tech fans give it a shot uh, a lot of cougar fans will be trying it for the very first time the pictures of it make it look really really cool it's crumbled up uh, bacon right on the top of that maple bar donut let me also uh, caution you I'm a dude who loves my sweets, but I have a hard time finishing one of those cougar tells by myself. Get two or three of your friends, get your family, and share it that way. It's the best way to enjoy it. And yes, as you mentioned, uh, the BYU Alumni Association, they do hand out free ice cream to all visiting fans uh, in the middle of the game. So don't be surprised if somebody walks up and says, hey, you want some ice cream? Because that is, they've done it uh, for years now for all, for all opposing fans when they come into Lavelle Edwards Stadium.
2: Now going back to our conversation one last time from mm-hmm. in July, um, the expectation from from BYU from yourself was a good season was six and six. You know yep. this is where we set our bar. This is you know something we could kind of build off of. Obviously, you guys are four and two, a whole lot closer to beating the six and six is the expectation change there is it still six and six the bar or has that bar been raised because it's a four and two record right now
1: well, it's a tell of two weeks. Cause uh, last week had you asked me that question. I said, yeah, probably seven or eight wins is probably the goal. When you lose to TCU in the fashion that BYU did and expose a lot of the weaknesses uh, in this program right now, I think a lot of expectations kind of sunk back down to, yeah, just get to six and six, to get to bowl eligibility. I-, I still think that if they were to get to a bowl this year, it's still an accomplishment because this is a whole nother level of football. BYU has aspired to play at, but they've never experienced fully until this year. So, Yeah, it feels like in some ways this Texas Tech game may be the key to BYU, kind of reigniting uh, some fans' passion and belief that they can uh, make a little bit of a run down the stretch run of the season. But conversely, they lose this game. Suddenly you're 4-3. and You have Texas next week. You got Oklahoma a few weeks out as well. Suddenly you're thinking, okay, where are we going to find two more wins? So this is a really, in many ways, a a key game on the schedule for the Cougars uh, looking forward
0: a big game for texas tech as well i actually just wrote about texas tech's own postseason hopes you know the season is not gone anywhere near where they would have liked it to go um falling to three and four three of those games decided by one possession all three of which were games you arguably almost certainly should have one um, barring just your own stupidity. This is a big one for both programs to try to accomplish their goals. It's a big one for both programs to keep moving forward. There's a power vacuum at the top of the conference and everybody's trying to vie for who's going to fill it. So let's talk about now to close out our interview, the actual outcome of this game. The spread started I believe Tech four and a half favorite. It has dropped to three and a half as of tonight. I suspect that will move a little bit closer to BYU as the game goes. Uh, for those of unfamiliar with how betting lines are kind of developed the assumption is being about two and a half three points for a home site so texas tech is about a touchdown favorite in this game on a neutral field let's talk about it jake call your shot here who you got in this one is BYU going to get their season and keep the momentum going or are they going to fall as most of the aac and and the newcomers in general have fallen
1: I've got a sense, and I, like I said, I, I'm pri- pri- privileged enough, if I can get the word out of my mouth, uh, to be able to go out to practices and cover this as a credentialed media member. And the sense I get from BYU this week is they're they're embarrassed by their performance against TCU, just to a man across the board. So I think you're going to see a pretty motivated BYU team coming into this game. Uh, I do think that the quarterback questions for Texas Tech are maybe a little bit too much for, for, for Tech to overcome in this one. I, I see this being a low-scoring game. I am going to take BYU by the slimmest of margins, something like maybe like that 21 to 20 final. Their only other time they've ever played down there in Lubbock in 1940 or whatever it was. I I could see a game like that breaking out. So I guess just give me give me BYU 23, Texas Tech 20.
2: That's a little bit different from the um, prediction you had in July of us, 31, 28, but uh, still a nail biter. But, you know, just us coming out. Um, over the top with a victory there in Provo, you know, you were high on tech, you're high on McGuire. You, you know, like I said, we respect BYU as, as as much as you guys respect us. And we probably will have the same similar hatred for Utah for some odd reason. So um, just in, I know we're getting close to cutting this off for the, for the night, but just in, in Jake Hatch fashion. Uh And because I've been listening to you a lot, man, is there anything else you need to get off of your chest before we go?
1: Well, let me, let me reiterate. I love Joey McGuire. I had a chance to go to big 12 media day and uh, talk with him just a little bit. I think tech's got an incredible coach there and you can tell he he knows what he's up against. You mentioned the season's not gone the way that uh, tech expected it to. I expected Texas tech to be one of the dark horses in the conference this year. Now, Injuries, the Tyler Shuck, et cetera, have obviously derailed that. And you mentioned the Utah side of things. Uh, Utah fans are a unique bunch out here. Now, I work in sports radio here, out here in Salt Lake City. And uh, for lack of a better term, the rivalry between BYU and Utah fans is what fuels our every day when it comes to sports radio in this market. So I love the passion that Utah and BYU fans bring every single day. The funny thing to me is there are a bunch of Utah fans who uh, are not happy about having to join the Big 12 and are like kind of like holding their nose when they accept the fact that it's going to be the reality for them. Here's the thing, it's part of it. So suck it up. Utah very well could win the conference next year. They're that good of a football program. I just don't get some of the hubris that their fans have when it comes to denigrating what is their future conference home for whoever, however long. If they think they're going to the Big 10, so be it. But you're gonna be in the Big 12 for a little bit. You might as well embrace it. I just don't get why they won't do it.
0: Frankly, you know, I've been doing this when we were Viva the Matadors previously and now the Cotton Club crew to date. Um, I've been doing this now four or five years and I've interacted with any number of fan bases and any number of personalities. Um, You know, there are some that I I don't like. Uh, Arkansas baseball fans are some of the worst in the nation. Um, Texas fans overwhelmingly are just a cesspool of shit. Uh, But I, I was I was curious to get to know all the new fan bases. Um, you know, I had interacted. There aren't that many Houston fans. I'm in Houston. There aren't that many Houston fans anymore. That program is scraping the bottom barrel. So I was more curious to meet Cincinnati, BYU and Utah and uh, Colorado I still haven't really talked much to Colorado folks. I think that fan base has also been so dry for so many years. But I was I was shocked to find out how much I I did not like Utah. If I could, if if the Holy War wasn't such an important game, I think, just to have in your conference, I would trade Utah to go get Oregon State and Washington State in a heartbeat. I I was full, I, I was just. Perhaps pleasantly surprised because I am fueled generally by hate for other programs. Okay. Um, I was pleasantly surprised to find out that I just I I don't understand. A program like Utah that has struggled in obscurity for so many years, and has was only recently themselves made the jump to this classification of football. The unearned arrogance of of that fan base in general is is something I, I can't fathom. You know, it just I can't I cannot bring myself to understand it. Because here's the thing: I don't think they're going to be particularly good in this conference. I think it's a much different ball game than playing in a Pac-12. That since they've been there, has frankly been the worst Power Five conference in the nation by a wide margin. So I I can't i'm looking forward to those matchups that'll be a fun one i think for everybody to get involved in and i think they are the early lead for everybody's new least favorite fan base with texas vacating the space
1: overall they, they very well could be that there's no doubt about that we'll see how it goes i, I am interested to see how things ultimately play out because to your point there it is a different type of football in the big 12 versus the pack 12 And we'll see how they adapt no doubt
0: I will say though, for all the all the hate of Utah, it is a huge bummer. We're not seeing Utah of Cam rising. Um that, that is a disappointment for the sport no. overall. You know, that I think that that for the right. fact 12, which this year is so good for them not to have him is just brutal to watch yeah. uh, play out.
1: And the week to week speculation of like, is he gonna play? Is he not gonna play? It's it's been a wild ride through the first seven weeks of the season so far. And uh there is no end end in sight when it comes to the cam rising watch here in Salt Lake City, there's no doubt.
0: Yeah. And I, 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 do for the fans for sports network. Um, I'm part of fortune favorites fan, which is a college yeah. football betting podcast. And my affiliate on that side is from the West coast and has how he put it is Kyle Whittenham hates the media and hates sports betters because he just doesn't tell anyone anything about the he status. He does not period. So, that,
1: that's just not how he operates. You're right. So that that is,
0: you know, I, I feel for Cam Rising. I hope we get to see him play. The kid is, by all accounts, a really tough guy. And those kind of injuries just suck. The knee injuries can just really derail everything you got going for you. But we're all, of course, looking forward to the first iteration of, I'm assuming BYU in Utah will be a protected rivalry going forward. I'd be floored to find out that they weren't a protected rivalry going forward. No. So we're all looking forward to that and future trips to Provo. I couldn't make it out this year. I'm hoping down the line to be able to that's a—I by all accounts a great venue um, so Jake thank you for being with us Jake of course for Locked On Cougars is a BYU affiliate he's been covering them for a long time go over there and head on check out their stuff the podcast is fantastic they're as knowledgeable as anybody is about any team about the BYU Cougars if you want to get more in depth on The things we talked about, they're going to be your best source for it. Uh, Jake, thank you very much for joining us and helping fill us in before the first matchup. And what are we talking? Oh, 80 years? years? Yeah. I mean, geez. So uh, get familiar with some very old friends. And for those of you making the trip out to Provo, be sure to hit up the spot. And I'm going to be honest, you got to grab the donut. I I, I like ice cream as much as the next man, but you got to go with the donut. Pick one or the other, protect your heart health, and get the donut. That's all you got to do. Um, Jake, thank you again for being here with us.
1: Absolutely. Anytime guys.
0: As always folks like scribe, follow whatever it is on whatever major podcasting platform, you can find us. You can check out the other great podcasts of the fans First sports network. We of course cover Texas tech, but the network continues to grow on the college end. Maybe one day there will be a BYU affiliate over here. They're continuing to build us out as we go. Um, and check out the college football feed overall. I mentioned the betting podcast. There's all kinds of podcasts related to the various conferences and some random sides of college football. We weren't able to get the Big 12 one up this year. Hopefully we'll be able to next year. Um, and we'll be talking a lot more about the conference overall. But thank you again to Jake. Be sure to head over to Locked On Cougars to get all the neat info you need on BYU. And enjoy what is a series of evening games for the Texas Tech Red Raiders. We got, I believe, another one after this. So three in a row in this kind of late night slate. Hopefully a better outcome than the dud late against Kansas State. Wreck them, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your week.